All right. Man, I don't know if it's an encouragement to hear someone talk about you like that just before you get up to speak, or if it's like I need to do some sort of magical thing that you're like, oh, yeah, he's right. That guy is good. But uh, all the glory goes to the Lord that someone can say that about you. That's, that's definitely not Ben Dodson. That is God working through uh, ben Dodson, which is my name. So uh, I am one of the elders here, and it is a privilege to come and speak to you guys tonight about the gospel. I don't take that lightly, um, and I'm so privileged that Roman even selected me to do this. So uh, before we go any further, let me just pray really quickly for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for who you are, God, that you are the one who reigns and is in control. Father, I thank you for the country that we live in where we can come freely tonight, uh, declare your word, listen to your word, and we're not in fear of death or being imprisoned. Father, there are brothers and sisters around this world who are dying, Father, to tell people about your good news. And they do so willingly because they know that it is the truth. I pray, Father, that as tonight we get to hear your good news, Father, our hearts are changed, they are affected, our desires are given over to you, and Father, it would be something that we are so taken by that we would be willing to die for it. We'd be willing to be imprisoned for it. And God, because it is a story like no other, and the best news is that it's just not a story, it is the truth. It is the only reality. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. All right, so before we can go further, uh, we need to recap kind of where we've been, and Roman has been taking us through the full narrative of the Bible, and we started obviously back in creation, um, and we looked at the goodness of God, his desires for his creation, and how he intended to dwell with his people and his creation, especially the pinnacle of creation, which was the creation of mankind, Adam and Eve, right? We are made in the image of God. That's huge. Now, this is kind of funny because in some of this, we, some people kind of twist this, but in creation, one of the things that's kind of hit me afresh and anew is that God's love and saying, you get to choose me, we had that choice, to me, it just displays his love for us. He's not putting us in some sort of robotic or manipulated relationship. He's saying, I'm good enough. I'm going to give you the choice to actually choose me. And sometimes I get so twisted, like, why would God do that? Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, no one wants to be in a relationship with someone that says, love me, uh, or else, you know, and then all you are is manipulated and told to do so. That's not a relationship, right? So to me, it just hit me, just knew that, man, what a loving opportunity and decision that he's allowed for us. Then comes the fall, right, where we see Adam and Eve succumb to the greatest lie of all time that is still, to this day, hitting us. And that is that we should be God, that we should have full control, and that God is not completely for us. But here comes the hope, as we talked about last week, where Jesus is better. The one true God, creator God, still desires to be with his creation. He is the God who is almighty, all-knowing, ever-present, holy, righteous, just, patient, kind, and love. But he's not just those, right? We kind of talked about that last week. He is actually what defines those terms. And he chooses to pursue a relationship with you and restore what sin has broken. And he chooses with me as well, right? That's just 
an amazing thing that this God is still pursuing us. Now, if we can get to our first slide, come up here in a second, maybe. There we go. A free Ferrari equals good, right? I'm going to tell you some good news that I have for you. And I've just recently found out how to receive a free Ferrari. I just want to share that with you guys so you can get one as well. You can see Ferrari equals smiles, pretty sweet car. Those people look pretty excited. Um, what I want to tell you is that I know you're already thinking there's no way this is true, but it is. You just say, all, all you have to believe is that the cost is covered for you, and then you get to receive the free Ferrari. That's all I'm asking you. I know you're probably saying, well, there's still got to be a catch, and there is a catch. Um, again, it is that faith and hope that someone has covered that cost for you. But it gets even better. Because I know your next step is like, well, what am I going to do to pay for all these speeding tickets that are going to be coming my way, right? And as those pile up, you're probably going to have a life sentence in jail somewhere. <laughs> all those penalties are waived. They're gone. All you have to do is believe that someone has covered the cost for this Ferrari, and it's yours. Does that sound pretty good? Maybe. I don't know. Some of you are probably like, sweet, I've always wanted a Ferrari. always want to go fast. Count me in. Some of you are like, i got nothing else to do. That's a pretty good deal. Could maybe use that, sell the car, I don't know. And some of you are probably like, I've never heard of Ferrari, it brings no excitement to me whatsoever. Does this harm the planet? You know, like, what is this? And so, anyway, uh, all that to be said, it, it sounds like a great story, right? And in my opinion, this is what we've done with the gospel of Jesus, is we've taken the gospel and we've condensed it into what sounds most appealing to us. And then we present that to people in a powerless, genie in a bottle, get out of jail free God, who has no plan for you other than to sit on clouds and escape the penalty of hell. That's not the good news, at least not in its entirety. So we're going to try and figure this out a little bit more tonight. We're going to see that the gospel addresses our brokenness, it reveals God's plan for us, that its reward is not escaping hell but it's an eternity with God and his son, Christ Jesus. And that starts now, and that changes everything. All right. So, on to the gospel. We're going to put the next slide up. Oh, it's already up there. Sweet. Um, and we're going to read this to you. This is the definition, and you can already see this definition gives us much more breadth so we can dig into the depth, right? And I wish I could, I mean, there's a thousand ways to share the gospel, and they're all true. And it's as deep as any well that's out there. And so I'm just going to scrape the surface, but it's still going to be a pretty deep surface, I hope. Um, but here's the definition. The good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has paid for our sins, died on our behalf, rose again to make us right with God, and to establish God's reign that will renew all things. Now we're going to unpack that. And we're going to look at three gospel-created categories. We can go to the next slide. The first one is the heart of the gospel is about God's transforming love that we get to experience now. And to do that, we've got to first recognize our state without Jesus. Um, so as we go through the talk tonight, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to be looking at life without Jesus and life with Jesus. And that's kind of kind of help us decipher some of this. But we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. 
If you want to turn there, you can. I don't know if we have that on the slide. I can't remember. Uh, but we're going to look first at the first three verses. And I'm going to read those to us now really quickly. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We see pretty quickly here uh, what Roman was talking about last week, where there's no solution that lies within us. Right? There's not a solution in us to address the death that is in us. We don't have it. We're dead. We have trespasses and sins that we have to account for. Uh, right? So we're going to break this out now, and we'll see that there's three things that are directing us when we're dead in our trespasses and sins. One is following the course of the world. Two is following the prince of the power of the air. And third is that we're controlled by our flesh. Now the first one, following the course of this world, is basically this. It's saying that you are a follower of just the times that are happening in the world now. Like as history has gone on, it's just each little section that keeps going on, everyone's just kind of moving in the same direction. You don't really see anybody going the opposite direction. It's just kind of going with the flow of things. And as long as you fit in with the majority and you abide by the rules, you should be pretty good. This is best seen in Pokemon Go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, kind of. Uh, one of the biggest lies this world has right now that you can see is living by the course of this world is that truth lies in man and that each man should determine what is truth. That's kind of what the times in the world is displaying to you. And it's saying if you live outside of that truth, there's probably something wrong with you, not with them. Following the prince of the power of the air. Now this one is the second one. And it brought up some imagery for me, which might be kind of funny uh, for you guys. It was funny for me. That I don't even know where it really came from. But um, you know those cartoons where there's like a dog or a cat or something is sitting outside, right, just hanging out, minding its own business. And the next thing you know, you see it's a pie being set on this window that's open. And then the, the little smell starts wafting throughout the sky, right? And it hits their nose, and all of a sudden they start floating across the air, and it just is dragging them right to the, this pie. That's kind of what was hitting my mind when I was thinking about following the prince of the power of the air. And that smell, although it looks good and it smells good, it's kind of a trick, right? It's like an allure that powerfully pulls you over and distracts you from a real pie that's sitting behind you, but you just can't help it. You're just on this little floating cloud of smell, right? Well, the Bible refers to Satan as the ruler of this world, the god of this world, and his purpose is to do what we just talked about in that illustration, and that is to allow just enough good in this world to where you're distracted from seeing all the evil that's really going on. The thought that man is inherently good doesn't equate with how God depicts us outside of Christ as dead and children of wrath. All right, so third, we're going to control by our flesh. Your actions and my actions are driven by our flesh, also stated as living, driven by a desire to please ourselves. You see, whatever we encounter, we're going to do 
in default what is best for us, and then we might move to the next stage of a decision, right? But first it's going to say, what's best for Ben? And then maybe I can let something in after that affect my decision process. So that's being controlled by your flesh. In summary, we're, we're followers deceived into thinking that we're actually leaders. And in our perceived control, all we're capable of is storing up wrath. That's all we're doing. I know that sounds rough. And how is a holy and righteous God going to deal with children just storing up wrath and are in a rebellion against him? Well, that's what we get to talk about tonight. That's the good news. We get to see life with Jesus. So what we kind of just focused on is life without Jesus. All right, now you can get ready if you want to. And get your fist pump ready, because we're about to read the next set of verses. And at verse 4, we're going to go through 10. We're going to skip over 7. Starts with but. Yes! You know? <laughs> but. That is a beautiful but. <laughs> and if we can get past our 6th grade humor, <laughs> that but is Jesus. And how we cling to that but, and we just don't know it. Man, that verse, that right there is good and silly at the same time, right? So let me read it to us. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We skip seven. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And don't worry, we'll come back to seven. Man, what beautiful news. You see, God being mercy and love, he can't turn against who he is. That's who he is, right? We talked about it. it's not just something he does. He is what defines and it is who he is. He, cannot res- he would not not rescue his creation if he is mercy and love. So his love for us is not rooted in our lovableness. It's a funny word to say, but it's true. But in his love for himself. We are not these sweet little cute puppies just waiting to be swept up, right? That's not how God sees us down here. He sees us as children of wrath. Trespasses is all we're we're storing up. We're dead. And that brings kind of this this imagery that I've, uh, maybe an illustration that was told to me in the past, and I think it's just the most powerful. It's not like we're just sitting in the ocean, right, with a life vest on, and we're able to stay up on top of the ocean. That's a pretty good floating motion, right? We're not just sitting there floating, waiting for someone to come and rescue us, you know? And we're like, oh, man, I have this idea. I need to be rescued. I'm going to think outside of myself. What would that be? I see no boat. I see nothing else. I must be God, you know? That's not what's happening. We're not just sitting there, and all of a sudden we decide, God is my, who needs to rescue me? We're at the bottom of the ocean, wrapped in chains, dead, and God, through Christ Jesus, reaches into the water from the bottom of the ocean, lifts us up, and rescues us. That's kind of the best way to see what is happening here. Now, just as he cannot turn against who he is in mercy and love, he cannot turn against himself 
in the fact that he is just. And in being just, he demands payment for those sins and those trespasses. And the good news is that while we were yet sinners or enemies against God, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. On our behalf, Jesus paid it all. Romans 5.19, For as by the one man's disobedience and the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's what we're talking about, the good news. Can you hear the freedom in God's transforming love just rushing in? So different from any other story you're going to hear. Because he is rich in mercy, because of his great love, by his grace, we are accepted on Christ's performance for us. We have no good works. We cannot get clean enough. God intervenes while you are his enemy, while I was his enemy. You are no longer dead. You are alive. You are raised up. You're taken from death and given new life. And even better than that, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And what does that mean? We'll we'll get into that here in just a second. But basically, your citizenship has changed. You're no longer under control of this God, of the power of the prince of the air, the world, and your flesh. That's not where your citizenship is. It's not this heaven. Your citizenship is now with Christ who is in heaven. Another way of kind of saying that is you're no longer from the 936. Do you guys know what that means? (laughs) Y'all will probably have 214 or something like that. But that's the Nacogdoches area code, right? You're no longer from the 936. You're from the J-E-S-U-S. You are no longer a slave to the world, Satan, or your flesh. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I need this. Reminder every hour. Jesus is better. Don't believe the old directives, right? Awesome. Let's move on to our next category, and that's going to be that the focus on God's transforming love corrects our wrong focus or understanding on heaven and hell. Now, these two topics are massive and could be sermons in their own right, um, but I hope what we get into will get you kind of riled up a little bit and say, I'm going to jump into my Bible and see what's going on. I'm going to give you some quick definitions um, that hopefully are helpful. I'm going to start with what is hell. It's referred to in the Bible as a lake of fire or an outer darkness or a place where there's gnashing of teeth, right? And this is all really to depict a place that is outside of God's presence, where you live out eternity following the prince of the power of the air, given over to the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, Chasing that scent of the fresh pie that is always just out of reach, but where you become fully aware of the all-satisfying goodness God and His Son, Christ, are. So in other words, knowing you not only chose the wrong pie, but you understand just how good that pie is, and you'll never get to taste it. Let me read you a quick parable that brings life to this imagery. Now, in this parable, it's going to talk about a rich man and a poor man, and that's not really what it's talking about in the sense of where rich men go and poor men go. Uh, it's talking about hearts. Um, let me read it to you. It's Luke 16, 19 through 31. 
There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, just take, take this in, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear, hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You can hear the anguish, the gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness. All of this, again, is depicting a place outside of God's presence. Now, if that is what hell is, what is heaven? And we're going to walk through this in two different ways. The first, we're going to depict kind of what heaven is uh, with God in his full presence. And kind of maybe something that may be new for you to take home tonight. So heaven is man, you are enjoying that good pie. There's been no trick. You are, you are getting the taste of the pie that we talked about at the beginning. Or you are following just the one that sounded good, looked good, smelled good, but always just outside of your reach while that good pie is right here. Or you get the taste of it. Heaven is living in the presence of God with a triune love, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all the love that created the earth and the heavens. We were always meant to sit in that, and we get to do so in heaven. It fills the atmosphere. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more envy. There's no boasting, no arrogance. There's no selfishness. There's no rejoicing and wrongdoing. The people of God are flourishing, and it's where righteousness dwells. Basically, where everything is right with God. Now, going back to seven, which we skipped. Let me read that to you quickly. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Heaven will be an eternity of joy as God shows us the immeasurable riches of his grace towards us that we received in Christ Jesus. It's a lot better than just sitting on a cloud, right? We will fully understand all the grace that's been given to us. We'll fully understand these words that we're hearing tonight. Transgressor, sinner, dead, child of wrath, 
we'll understand the fullness of who we are and the fullness of who God is and the grace that filled that gap. This is important. The coming ages start when you place, as we just talked about, the coming ages, right, when we get to start understanding God's grace. The coming ages starts now when you place your trust in Jesus. This is huge. This means we get to experience some of heaven now. It's not this ethereal thing we're all waiting on. We get to experience heaven now. Some of it. One of those riches is that we receive the Holy Spirit. And John 16, 13 through 15 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now if that's not amazing in its own right, watch this. You remember verse 6, where we are seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, right? And we're kind of like, let's get to that later. Well, let me read to you a quote from Jonathan Parnell. He's a pastor of Cities Church in Minnesota. And I think he just nails what I could ever try and put into words. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended and took his seat on the heavenly throne. Right now, those who are united to Jesus by faith are spiritually raised and seated with him. That's the verse we're talking about, Ephesians 2, 6. Spiritually speaking, because of our union with Jesus, we inhabit the dimension of reality in which he reigns. We are, in that sense, in heaven with him. And at that same time, we are here. We are breathing the air of this world, listening to the music of this culture, eating the food of this place. So he has sent us his spirit. The Holy Spirit is for the church, Jesus' own empowering presence. In a very real sense, we are there with him in heaven. And in a very real sense, he is here with us on earth. All due to the Holy Spirit, which is that gift we're talking about. We are physically here and spiritually in terms of our true destiny. Remember, our citizenship has changed. We are there with Jesus. And Jesus is physically there. I'm pointing up. I'm not sure he can be anywhere, right, in the cosmos. He created it, and he's sitting there waiting and waiting to come back. Uh, anyway, Jesus is physically there, and presently, by his Spirit, he is here. Now, this is an overlap of heaven and earth in terms of dimensions and history, and Christians are called to live right in the tension until the reality of God's new creation overwhelms this old one. The way that heaven touches this world now so heaven is touching this world now, is through his people. It's by his spirit, through his people. People like you and like me. We get to start eternity now. That's so much better than sitting on our, just sitting on it waiting for God, right? Saying, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to be in a cloud, yada, 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 right? We get to bring in and play a part of heaven and eternity now, now our brokenness still doesn't allow that full overlap because we're talking about there's just the beginning of it, right? And Christ is the one who's done this. And that moves us into our final category, which is God's transforming love impacts your daily life now. 
And this is where you'll see verse 10 that comes in. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have work to do. And we anxiously await the return of our king and the renewal of all things. And there should be a pic on a slide. Sweet. There you go. Okay, you can see the blue is heaven. The red is earth. And that cross, the big one, is to indicate Jesus and how he has overlapped heaven and earth. Now, you've probably seen some of this maybe in the Bible Project, which is where this comes from. Um, but we're going to dig into it a little bit more. And uh, hopefully that gives some imagery of what we're talking about. Jesus has begun to unite heaven and earth, which was separated by our sin. And he has chosen to use those whom he has redeemed and is renewing to spread gospel throughout the world, which is where you start seeing all those other little crosses. That is our purpose. And this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And it says, Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. God has done all of this. He has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us this ministry of restoring relationships. In other words, God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them, and he has given us this message of restored relationships to tell others. Therefore, we are Christ's representatives, although, or also you may have heard ambassadors. And that tells us pretty directly what's happening here, but what this means is that we get to be the presence of the future. And we talked about what heaven was, right? No more pain, no more anguish, no more, so no more sorrow. Christ is in control. He is king. God is reigning. That is our future. And we get to bring some of that to earth now through the power of the Spirit that has been gifted to us. Paul Tripp says it this way. In other words, the work of an ambassador, a representative, is incarnational. Their actions, their character, and their words embody the king who isn't present. In the same way, the Apostle Paul teaches that God has called us to function as his incarnational ambassadors. Everything we say and do has import because of the king we represent. This isn't a part-time calling, it's a lifestyle. We represent God's purpose to the people he places in our lives. The primary question on our mind should be, how can I best represent the king in this place with this particular person. Again, doesn't that sound much more involved than sitting and waiting, escaping hell, and simply believing in Jesus? And those are part, right? The new life that is offered to us by Christ is not waiting for us in heaven, it is now. I can't say it enough. How many people feel like there's just no life? I don't know what I'm doing with my life. But you say you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have work to do. I have work to do. And it comes through the power of the Spirit that has been gifted to us. And that is to tell people about Christ, to usher in this mindset, how can I be, represent the king in this place and with this particular person? You can change that to whatever you want to change. This particular workplace, this particular sport, this particular interest, whatever God has given you, you get to now start renewing it, redeeming it, and saying, how can I use this to the benefit of the king? That gives you all the purpose in the world. The best news is you're not at the center of it. I'm not at the center of it, right? 
So it's understanding that you're a part of God's family. You are heirs to the kingdom. You have been seated with Christ, and we are walking in the freedom that brings. Maybe you're not, and that's what we want to discuss too. And there's nothing wrong with that. We get to address it. There's grace to fill your purpose. As we walk in the newness of a spirit-led life, we anxiously await for Christ's return when heaven and earth will fully reunite under the reign of God and the presence of the King. That's what we're hoping for. We're not hoping to just be good enough to get into this place where we sit and we don't go to hell. Again, I've reiterated it and I want to because that is the truth of the gospel. And I hope it is ringing true in your hearts right now. Let me read you Revelations 21, 5 through 6. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now remember, all of this is reflecting on life without Jesus and life with Jesus. That is the water of life that is being offered to us with Jesus. And it comes without payment because Christ has done the payment that we could never do. And I'll close with this. Kind of. C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian novelist, which you probably have heard of, he's a lay theologian, or a theologian, I would say, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, said this about his decision to drink from the spirit of the water of life. He said, You must picture me alone in a room, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing the divine humility with which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to the prodigal who is brought in, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? Don't miss this part. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. Can I just assure you that this is not a one-and-done thing, in the sense that you will no longer struggle with the flesh, the world, and Satan? That is why we are anxiously, again, you'll hear me say it, anxiously waiting on Jesus' return because in our waiting we walk in the newness of life that Jesus provides. By the power of the Spirit, we get to say no to our old struggles and saying yes to the desires of God. We walk this world no longer as victims, but as victors, declaring our King is better 
as we display a taste of what heaven is like. That is life with Jesus. You get to display a taste of what heaven is like. In your submission to him, and you're crying out to him that you are not good enough, but he is. And he accepts, accepts us whether we're darting our eyes back and forth trying to escape. It is amazing. And that is the good news of the gospel. And I hope that that brought some clarity. I hope it brought questions. I hope it brought all sorts of re- emotional responses. And we'll get to dig into that tonight as we break up in groups. But let me pray for us. Um, and then Roman will come up. Heavenly Father, again, so thankful, so grateful, Father, that you have worked in my life. You have taken the scales off of my eyes. You have shown me that you can make people new, Father, just in my own life. You have, I have seen my desires, my affections, the way that I am able to actually maybe even think of another person before I think of myself. I give you all that glory, Father. And I pray that you do more of that in my life, and I pray that you invite others into that tonight. We don't have to get cleaned up. We can never be clean enough. We can never do enough work. God, you've done all of that for us. We simply get to receive the good news of Christ. And in so, we get to walk in a life that brings life, restoration, and eventually you're going to renew all things. Thank you, Father, for even giving us an opportunity to choose you. And thank you for being the compulsion to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.